Hi, I'm Rob. I'm one of the ministers here at ABC, and it is a great joy on this incredible streamiversary to be speaking to you. And I want to start off with a question. What if you had a million dollars to give away to worthy causes, but you'd had requests for help that totaled two million dollars? How would you choose who you gave the money to, and how would you tell the other charities that you couldn't help them? If you had an hour a week, perhaps, to help at our church, but you were approached by five different ministry leaders, all of whom asked you to give your hour to support their efforts, and all five projects were just great initiatives, how would you say no to four out of the five? How, how is that even possible that you might be able to make those decisions? I mean, let's face it, it's really hard to say no to good ideas, right? If someone makes a good case for something that's obviously going to be good, that's going to produce good results, we tend to say yes to their suggestion. And if we can solve a problem or meet a need or support someone who's doing a good thing, we're really hard-pressed to turn down that opportunity. But what if there are more problems, needs, and opportunities than we have the time or the energy or the resources to respond to? What if your team at work has more good ideas than you have time to implement? What if saying yes to one thing means costing us the opportunity to say yes to something that's an even better use of our time? How would you even know if you don't have the time in your calendar to stop and do any strategic thinking? How would you decide what to say yes to and what to say no to if you never have time to, dis to sort of consider the pros and the cons of every opportunity and how to further the most important goals and objectives that you're working towards? In fact, do you even have the time to identify what's wildly important to you? Or are you too busy for that too? And what about what's wildly important to God? How do you know what God wants you to focus on, as opposed to what others think is a great idea for you to be involved in, or what just seems to be a good idea? How do you know what God's agenda for your life is? You know, there are some really great books and videos that could help you plan strategically, manage your time better, become more efficient, or be more in control of your calendar. But none of them will tell you what God has planned for you on his agenda for you each and every day. If you're a Christian, perhaps you need to be reminded from time to time that you work for God. In the hustle and bustle of daily life, it can be easy to forget that God has a mission that he is working on and he has invited us to join him at work. Isn't that amazing? But unlike us, God is utterly brilliant at planning and he has, he has set an agenda for each and every one of us with good works that he wants us to do every single day. The question is, how do we know what they are? Today, I want us to consider how we might be able to know and to do God's will on a daily basis. And I believe the answer has to do with establishing a healthy rhythm, a regular pattern of time out with God in prayer and in solitude to make our time in even better. That's what Jesus did. He recognized that to make his life, ministry, and relationships the best that they could possibly be, and to fulfill the very specific mission that he was called to, to fulfill, he needed to spend time regularly with his heavenly father in silence and in solitude. Now, Matthew was one of Jesus' original disciples, and he wrote a first-hand account of the life of Jesus, which happens to be the first book in the New Testament part of the Bible. And in that particular story, we don't find out that much about Matthew, so I just want to tell you who Matthew was. 
Matthew was a Jew who had converted to Christianity because he believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the one sent to fulfill the will of God as stated in the laws and the prophecies that we find in the Old Testament part of the Bible. That's who Matthew was. So for Matthew, it was really important for him to communicate to his readers that Jesus came to fulfill God's will rather than to change it somehow. And that's why Jesus prayed so often. He wasn't trying to change God's mind about something as we so often try to do in our prayers. No, Jesus was trying to know and do whatever God had in mind. And his prayer life reflected that desire as he established a regular pattern of praying in order that he might receive guidance from his father. We see this pattern right at the very beginning of his ministry, just after his baptism, which he explained to John the Baptist he was doing in order to fulfill all righteousness. There's a word we don't use much, right? Righteousness. It basically just means doing the right thing all of the time, like living a life that, that is characterized by doing the right thing. And the right thing is whatever God leads us to do, as he is the judge ultimately of right and wrong. So Jesus was baptized because of his desire to fulfill all of the will of God. And then immediately after this baptism, Matthew tells us that he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he would fast and pray for 40 nights. That's how 40 days and nights. That's how Jesus began his earthly ministry with a time of prayer and fasting and solitude, seeking God's will. Before he preached or healed or cast out demons or confronted injustice and hypocrisy, Jesus was led by God's spirit to focus his mind through fasting and prayer so that he could be ready to do God's will the moment the opportunity arose. That was what, that was the beginning of what would become a very regular rhythm of his life. And it was so important that Satan himself appeared to try and distract him. We read the story in Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 2. And it goes like this. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You see, Satan knew that if Jesus followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit and regularly took time out to seek God's will and memorize God's words, he would be focused, strengthened, and clear-minded during the rest of his time. So Satan comes to give Jesus alternative opportunities to God's specific mission for him. And if you read the verses that follow this passage, you can get the whole story of Satan's efforts to tempt Jesus. But suffice it to say that one of the key things that he's trying to do is to distract Jesus, who's obviously hungry and probably quite tired too after 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, and Satan even uses Bible verses to try and convince Jesus that his suggestions are in line with the will of God. The things that he asks him to do are quite often based on Bible stories or Bible verses. Quite incredible, really. You see, folks, you can fool yourself into thinking that if you know a lot about the Bible or, or, or you know a lot of Bible verses, you'll always be able to do the will of God. But there's a bit more to it than that. The Bible is a complex collection of books written at different times and in different places and situations over thousands of years. And it can be difficult to interpret correctly. So you need the Holy Spirit of God to guide you as you read it and to seek to apply its wisdom correctly to your life each day. You need God to reveal his word to you daily, to teach you how to follow his will for your life and to stay on his mission for you. And it's easy to get distracted from God's plan, not just by opportunities to do something evil, 
but often by being tempted to pursue opportunities to do something that appears good, but which isn't what God wants you to focus your energy and your time on that day. Your energy is limited. Your time is limited. Your resources are limited. And there will always be more need in the world, more good work to do in the world, more opportunities to do good than you have the time, energy or resources to do. And that is why it's so vital that we get into a rhythm of praying regularly and spending time in solitude with God so that his Holy Spirit can reveal his good and pleasing and perfect will to you every day. Jesus didn't just come to do good. He came to fulfill God's will. And in these two verses in Matthew that we're looking at today is a small phrase whose significance is not immediately obvious to many people. In verse 2, Matthew says this. He says, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, you might be tempted to focus on the fact that Jesus was hungry because we can all relate to that physical need. We're very good at thinking about physical needs. But it's actually the first part of the verse that's so vital to understand. Why 40 days and 40 nights? What's the significance of that phrase? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that that's an incredibly significant phrase because of where you can find it in the Old Testament part of the Bible. You see, the phrase 40 days and 40 nights can be found in a number of very significant and famous stories in the Old Testament. And in each one of them, God is revealing more of his will to humankind. It first occurs in the story of Noah, when 40 days and 40 nights of rain provide the context and backdrop for a new agreement or a new covenant between God and Noah's family in the ark. Fast forward a few hundred years and it occurs when Moses receives the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, spending 40 days and nights in the presence of God recording his will on stone tablets. These commandments would become the basis for a new covenant with God, whereby the people of Israel became a nation who were called to obey God's will by following the laws that Moses passed on to them. Then we see the phrase used again as the prophet Elijah, later strengthened by God, travels 40 days and 40 nights to the top of Mount Horeb, where God meets with him to reveal his will to him at a time when Elijah just didn't know what to do next. So all the way through the Old Testament, the phrase 40 days and 40 nights is used in situations where God reveals his will to his people in a fresh new way. And here's the significance of that phrase in Matthew's story. What Matthew is deliberately pointing out to his readers is that Jesus came not to abolish God's previous covenants with the people of Israel, but to explain God's will in a fresh way and to fulfill all of God's will found in all of the laws and all of the writings of the prophets in the Old Testament. Matthew wants us to understand that the reason Jesus prayed and fasted was to receive God's will so that he could teach it afresh and fulfill it in a new and better way in his life and ministry. You know, Jesus is like the new Moses or the new Elijah in that he reveals God's will to us in a fresh way and then fulfills it himself in ways that Moses and Elijah never could. You see, even if you know all of the laws in the Bible and you're familiar with all of the prophecies in it, fulfilling all of the will of God each day is still something too difficult for us to accomplish. We get things wrong. We misinterpret the Bible and sometimes we willfully disobey God. At other times, we think we know what he wants, and so we rush ahead and do something only to discover later that we lack the wisdom to know when and how to apply the guidance that he gave us through the law and the prophets. 
That's why Jesus came. He came to reveal the will of God to us in fresh and simple ways that we could understand. He came to fulfill God's will on our behalf so that our moral failures did not exclude us from an ongoing relationship with God. And he came to model a healthy rhythm of prayer and solitude with God that would help us to be led by the Holy Spirit daily as he reveals God's plans and his purposes for us. He came to model a rhythm that would help us resist temptation and recognize when opportunities that come our way might be distractions from what he really wants us to be involved in that day. How else would Jesus have been able to walk away from people seeking to hear him teach or to be healed of their illnesses? These were good things, things that we could easily assume were always the will of God for our lives. And yet Luke, another disciple of Jesus, tells us that as news spread about Jesus and as crowds flocked to hear him and to be healed, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Notice the word often. This was a regular habit and a repeated rhythm observed in the life of Jesus. He intentionally took time out from the many opportunities to do good things, to pray and seek God's will in solitude so that he could determine the most important thing that he could be doing with the limited time and energy that he had as a human being. You know, Jesus was fully human. And so he focused his mind on the will of God. He did not come to do his own will. He came to do the will of his heavenly father. He came to fulfill his father's mission. And that meant sometimes saying no to some good things. You know, he healed a leper, but he didn't eradicate leprosy. Not because that wasn't a worthy cause, but because it was not the reason that he'd been sent. He preached really well, but he, he never set up a church, even though people kept flocking to hear him speak. He won over crowds and spoke about injustice, but he never became a politician and he rejected the idea of being Israel's political king. Jesus said no to a lot of good opportunities to make a difference in the lives of other people. Why? Because he took time in prayer and solitude often in order to determine the not so obvious but infinitely better will of his father. Rejecting the temptation to always respond to urgent needs for the sake of remaining focused on what's wildly important to God. I think you'd probably agree with me when I say that life often has a way of overwhelming us with choices, responsibilities, expectations, needs, and demands on our time and energy. It is simply impossible to do everything that we're asked to do, to meet every need that we see, or to fulfill everyone's expectations. So how do we choose? Well, According to both the teaching and the example of Jesus, we don't. We let God set the agenda and to lead us to make the choices that are in line with his plans and his purposes for our lives. And we do that by creating a healthy rhythm of prayer and solitude so that we can listen to God and receive guidance from his Holy Spirit. How's your prayer life? Do you pray? And if so, how regularly? Do you schedule in times to get away from all of the hustle and bustle of life's demands, to spend time alone talking to God and asking him to lead you? If you're a Christian, regular prayer and solitude with God is a discipline that Jesus modeled and that has proved to be the source of inspiration and guidance for his disciples for thousands of years. Please don't neglect this wildly important discipline because of the many urgent demands on your time and energy. You are here to serve the will of God not the expectations of everyone else.
And hey, if you're watching this live stream and you wouldn't call yourself a disciple of Jesus, but you're struggling with competing demands on your time or difficult choices, can I encourage you to consider trying to pray for God's guidance? You know, as Christians, we believe that Jesus made it possible for all of us to have a personal relationship with God. And that when you come to him in prayer, he listens to you and will guide you towards his will. You know, it's really tough to make all of life's decisions by yourself. Why not ask God to come into your life and to help you to accomplish the unique purpose for which he made you? And hey, if you're a hardcore atheist who thinks prayer is just mumbo jumbo and you're watching today and you're thinking, what is this guy on about? Can I challenge you to just at least take some time out regularly in solitude and silence to have the white space, white space that you need in your life to think about the decisions that you have to make? And then if you find that really helpful, I challenge you to simply consider what that might say about the wisdom of Jesus. You know, perhaps organized religion really doesn't appeal to you, and, and you may have good reasons for that, I get it. But I'm not challenging you to pursue religion. I'm simply challenging you to take Jesus seriously. He's history's most influential person for a reason. And I dare you to truly discover what that reason is. We can all learn from his example to take time out so that our time back in is better. Pray with me if you're up for that. And let's ask God to guide us and to give us the discipline to regularly seek his will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you acknowledging that we are so easily distracted. And yet, when we look at Jesus, we see him coming to you daily for guidance and for support and for all that he needed to determine your will that day. Father, help us to do the same. Help us to get into a healthy rhythm of prayer and solitude with you so that we might know the best choices that we could possibly make to accomplish the things that you have specifically desired that we would do each and every day. Guide us by your Holy Spirit to be wise, to understand your will, to hear your word, and like Jesus said, not to just live by bread alone, but by the very word of God on a daily basis. Help us, Lord. Speak to us by your spirit. And I pray especially for anyone who's praying for the first time in a long time, or maybe the first time ever, asking you into their life, asking you to guide them and to lead them with, with the decisions and the things that they're struggling with. Would you bless them? Would you give them wisdom and guidance so that they might know that you are for them and that Jesus came to show us that. Just speak into their life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.